in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are so many wars, so many struggles that we hear about, that we can easily forget about the great war that we find ourselves in the middle of at all times. There are national and political wars, as has been on our minds a lot this week, right, with Afghanistan. There are religious wars, such as we hear of ISIS and the jihadists pursuing. Here at home we have cultural wars, as we call them, the struggle to keep Christian conviction permissible in the public sphere, or select aspects of Christian morality affirmed by the state against those who oppose them. Day after day after day, in newspapers, Christian magazines and blogs, it is war, wars, and rumors of wars. And yet none of the opponents in any of these wars is our actual enemy. Every jihadist Muslim, every leftist intellectual, every man or woman who is attacking something that we treasure, every last one of them is a soul for whom Christ died. Every one of them is a sinner in desperate need of God's mercy, just like us. So we can vigorously oppose their efforts. We can hate what they do or have done, but they themselves are not the enemy. This is, and this is, don't take my word for it, this is the message of Ephesians 6. We do not wrestle, the word there is struggle, uh, antagonize, against flesh and blood. That's humans, that's a Greek biblical idiom, right, for human beings. But against, who is our actual enemy? The rulers, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's who our war is truly with. And to be clear, that's the devil and the demons who are doomed for destruction on the last day. But until that day, they wage a bitter war every day against Christians, selectly Christians. This is our most important conflict and it should occupy our attention far more than what is happening on the pages of the New York Times. At the end of the day, and I say this with reverence for the great labors this country has expended, at the end of the day, who has control over the Hindu Kush mountain range is not of eternal consequence. It's very meaningful, but it's not of eternal consequence. This spiritual struggle is the only war that is of eternal consequence. Newspapers and broadcast news have not helped us in this regard. Just imagine the kind of Christians we would be if we took every minute that we gave to following sort of the various struggles that we follow in through the various media outlets and gave that much attention to our own personal spiritual struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We'd be an unstoppable spiritual force, I think. But we are distracted by these secondary and derivative struggles. I say derivative because the spiritual world and the physical world interact, right? It very well may be a demonic inspiration that leads this or that human actor to do this or that thing. 
But the human act of themselves is not our enemy. I also think, if we're honest, it's hard to really remember and believe in a sort of 21st century mindset that the demons really are real. But they are real. The scripture is unequivocal about that. Think of all the miracles that Christ did casting out demons. They are our true enemies. And recognizing this, we know, of course, that a soldier in an active combat zone will always be armed. And the imagery of Ephesians 6 isn't a soldier of modern warfare, right, but of Roman warfare. Then, before the uh, age of ballistics, the combat was much more hand-to-hand, and that's a more ready metaphor for our spiritual combat. It's hand-to-hand. It's right here, already, in our face. It's not shoot far away. I'm not going to go through all the component pieces of the armor that St. Paul lays out, but they're all needed, and they're all interconnected, right? Like, armor comes together. A soldier doesn't just go, well, I've I've got my greaves or whatever. You You have to have the whole thing. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of gospel readiness, the helmet of salvation. I want to focus only on the two pieces of armor that move according to the volition of the soldier, right? A helmet just stays on your head, but a shield and a sword, you move where they go. And the sequence is significant. Shield and sword, defense before offense, because we find ourselves already under attack. Flaming darts. Um, The picture is of uh, first century warfare of arrows dipped in pitch and then lit on fire and shot. Just imagine what it would be like to see a flaming arrow flying at you. A pretty horrifying prospect. But a picture of exactly um, Satan's and the demon's temptations towards us seeking to pierce an arrow and to inflame in order to destroy us. And to to be clear, what the demons want is to destroy our faith in Christ Jesus. That's the way they would destroy us. If we completely abandon and reject the faith permanently and die that way, then our fate will be the same as theirs, ultimate destruction. I learned this week in, in studying this passage that Roman shields actually had leather covers on them. And that prior to, if they were going to be taking on an enemy who had flaming arrows, they would soak their shields in water so that the flaming arrow would then be quenched if it stuck in the shield. And what a perfect picture of the way that faith and the waters of holy baptism relate. It's also noteworthy that every one of Paul's original hearers would have known sort of the Greek mythology that all the pagan Greeks believed. And um, Eros, the god of uh, the the mythical deity of... um, uh, romantic love and sexuality in their mythology shot flaming arrows. I think that reference would be near at hand for um, St. Paul's original listeners. Certainly, um, sexual temptations are not the only arrows the enemy throws at us, but they are among the most frequent. And to be clear, not every... When we sin, it's perfect in sort of God's providence of the lectionary in some of these ways, our Lord in the Gospel says, to be clear, sin comes out of your heart. Right? Like, when you choose to sin, it's not the devil who made you do it. The devil doesn't make you do anything. Right? It came out of your heart. But, it's like our heart has pitch in it, sort of this residue of sinful nature. And the enemy shoots his temptations at us to try and set it on fire. But then it's us who, with our will, give in to it. So that's how that relates, that the enemy's onslaughts doesn't mean, oh, and that's why I fell. It's I am the reason I fall. But the enemy is sending these things to try and get me to fall in these specific ways. Arrows can come from many directions. 
It could be a thought, a mental image, an idea of something you want to say, a mental judgment of someone else, a distraction, a prompted despair, self-pity, or self-righteousness. And the key to defending against all of the arrows is faith. So faith that holds fast to what you know is true in Jesus. That's the thing that's going to stop that arrow from from catching fire within. Things that we can't see with our eyes, but we know God has said is true. Every arrow is really aflame with a lie, and faith is holding to what is true, and that's the truth that quenches the lie. So if the enemy says, ooh, this is what you want, faith says, no, 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 God has forbidden that thing. And think about Christ being tempted in the wilderness. And here, of course, just like our Lord, we need to know the scriptures to have a certain word with which to be defended. Because, and I say that in the passive, to be defended, because it's actually, in the end, God defending us with his word. Right? We aren't soldiers sort of fighting on our own. It's God within us. That college we prayed for today, his grace ahead of us and behind us. The, what we pray, what we sing as the gospel comes out, Christ with us and around us. It's God defending us with his word. So if it's a lustful thought that comes in, to have his word memorized, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his eye commits adultery with her in his heart. The arrow is quenched, right? If it's a challenge to belief itself, you haven't seen God, how do you know this is true? Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet have believed. Right? When you have the, the sure word of God, it can quench the arrows of temptation. Ultimately, faith is not just clinging to the verbal truths of God, but to the truth himself. Right? Clinging to Jesus. Though great saints testify who are permitted some of the greatest spiritual trials so at the end of the day, when their brain was too foggy to remember anything else, all they did was cling to the risen Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm holding on to your feet. I don't understand anything. I can't remember anything, but I know that you are true and I'm not letting go. The shield of faith. Now let's think about the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God praying at all times in the Spirit. You'll notice I'm kind of extending that verse there because I think the verse numbers and the, the way the English syntax is there, we kind of think of the sword as just the word, as if like the Bible on the page. But it's very clear, if you look at that passage, and it's even clear in the grammar of the Greek, that, that it's not the word on the page, it's the word on your lips. It's the word of God as you're praying it, that that is your sword. Prayer is distinct from supplication in Ephesians. So I say, well, what is prayer if not asking? It's the prayer that recounts God's deeds and praises him, the sort of arc, the um, archetypal version of which is the Psalms. So, in a sort of rough paraphrase, the sword of the Spirit is praying the Psalms, praying the Psalms. That's why, as Anglicans, in, as we've received from the great tradition, the Psalms are put on our lips every morning at morning prayer, every evening at evening prayer, in the middle of every Holy Communion. Right? We're praying the Psalms, wielding the sword of God. That act of praying God's word is a participation in God the Spirit, connecting us to himself. And like a sword, it actually drives away the enemy as a preemptive attack. That if you begin the day praying a psalm, you're actually remembering, oh yeah, the enemy's going to be coming and you start swinging the sword to get a little bit of distance before this day begins. The fathers actually talk about how the sword is actually also... Um, to continue to be hacking away at this residual um, sin-hardened brokenness within our hearts too. That the sword, that the spiritual war 
we, we need to always keep it close to our sort of sense of our internal life, that we're not fighting oh, all these things out there that are trying to get me. No, no, no. It's my heart that's trying to get me. This is the battleground of the Spirit. So the gathered conclusion of Ephesians 6 is that praying the Bible, centrally the Psalms, is the chief thing to do to remain standing on this battlefield. All of the things in this chapter, grammatically, all relate back to the command to stand, to stay standing on the battlefield. If you'd win the battle, the one that really counts, pray, pray more Psalms. Pray more Psalms. Not because the Psalms have any magical power in themselves, but it's taking up the Word of God to continue the spiritual struggle. In Ephesians it says, in all circumstances at all times. So, when we think about kind of the conflicts of life and what can we do about it, far more important than calling any senator about this domestic or international thing, call on Christ with the Psalms. Far more important than donating money to a super PAC that will lobby for the values that I value, donate that time to the Spirit in prayer who intercedes on our behalf. Far more important than the state of the world is the state of our souls. And I encourage you to not be distracted by external conflicts, as meaningful and significant as they are, to not let them be a distraction to the great spiritual struggle. The struggle we actually all agree to in our baptism, right? The vow is, will you resist the world, the flesh, and the devil? So thanks be to God that in this great struggle that he's given us his armor. The armor that was first worn by Christ himself called the dread warrior. Armor that he has guaranteed will keep us safe if we use it. His immortal word, his glorious scripture. Amen.